I will put a disclaimer on the following story. We do not, as Catholics, uh, have to believe it. We're not obligated to believe it. But there is a legend, uh, tradition that is passed down and uh, involving Adam and, and uh, um, actually the last, some of the last verses of today's uh, gospel passage. The legend is that Adam, after Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, uh, they headed uh, east of Eden. Uh, and eventually, uh, Adam and Eve ended up in what is now known as Jerusalem, uh, that Adam worshipped on the very hill where the temple was built eventually. And as he was uh, getting sick and dying, he sent, sent Seth to the Garden of Eden to beg the angel who was guarding the entrance for oil from the Tree of Mercy, uh, one of the trees, many trees of the Garden of Eden. Seth did not make it back in time Adam died, and he was buried there outside of Jerusalem, what became Jerusalem, I should say. And his, this, the mud around him became stone. In fact, uh, well, most of Jerusalem is, is this kind of stone. It's a limestone, and it's called Melkite, uh, because it is Melkite, or Melki means uh, a king in Hebrew, and Melkite stone is a very valuable stone. It's hard and dense. Uh, easy to carve all the same and uh, very good for building and so it was the best stone but as uh, time would have it that uh, the, around his grave uh, became a quarry they began to quarry out that stone most of Jerusalem and actually most of the building material in the Holy Land is stone because trees are sparse uh, unlike here, where we have wood and forests and all those things, Jerusalem or Israel is not very, uh, does not produce a whole lot of trees, enough to build houses. But as the builders were uh, excavating or the, uh, uh, the quarrymen were uh, taking out stone, they realized there was a flaw in one of the hillsides, a flaw that uh, made the stone defective. And so they stopped pouring that particular hill where uh, it is said that uh, Adam was buried. And it became a garden in addition to a place of burial. In fact, you can go and you can see this. There are first century burial sites in that area. But because of the shape of the hill, it took on the name Calvary, or in Hebrew, Golgotha. Calvary means uh, Calvarium, the top of the head. Uh, so when we call it the place of the skull, they're not talking that the, the face uh, with the eyes and the mouth, they're not talking that, but they're talking the, rather the top of the head, that rounded little jut. But the reason it may be called Calvary, in addition to looking like the top of the skull, is because that's where the skull of Adam was. And the same tradition tells us that as Christ died on the cross, the blood poured down the cross into the hole through the cracks and anointed the remains of Adam. In fact, in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is now built over the site of Calvary, built over the site of the tomb, there is now a chapel dedicated to Adam and to this tradition. Again, whether it's true or not, we do not know.
but it certainly helps make sense. As Jesus quotes this scripture verse, the verse that we hear so often throughout uh, the Easter season, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. By the Lord, this has been done and is wonderful in our eyes. Because literally, the stone, the hill where he was crucified, was rejected by the builders. And he, the stone, the living stone, the cornerstone of the church, was rejected by the Jewish uh, scribes and Pharisees and chief priests. Not that we condemn them, of course. But he was rejected, tossed out of the city, crucified there. Crucified. And so the connection is very clear. And as Jesus is sharing this verse, in a way he's telling us not only how he's going to die as he does elsewhere, but even where he's going to die. He's going to die in Calvary, on that stone that was rejected. And so with that in the background, perhaps, this parable takes on added meaning. And certainly we can look at that parable and without even having a whole lot of theological background or scriptural background, we might be able to, to know what it's talked, talking about. After all, we call to mind how at the very beginning God created a garden and planted all those trees and created all the animals, set uh, nature in all its array, the sun and the moon and the stars, and created man. And gave man, I used to think it was only one rule, but it's really two. The first, of course, do not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and just go forth and multiply. That's the only rules that they gave, but uh, the serpent came and, and tricked them, and of course they rejected God's will. They rejected and chose otherwise. But in the people of Israel, and today in our first reading, we hear that, the song of the vineyard. And they would have seen themselves. They are the vineyard of the Lord. They are the ones that the Lord has planted. He's provided everything for them. All they have to do is produce the fruit. When it yields, they must yield. When it produces fruit, they must give that fruit to the Lord. And here, as Jesus tells this parable, it's not wild grapes that grow up, as we hear in the first reading, but instead... They don't want to give the harvest. They don't want to give the yield. They don't want to give. And so the master sends servants to collect his share of the produce, and they kill him, and they beat him, and they toss him out. And they finally, he says, they will respect my son, and they do worse. Now in Jewish law, if there is no other child, uh, unlike uh, modern, it goes either to the state or, or it goes back a generation and then forward again. Here in the, in the Jewish law, if there is no heir direct, heir apparent, it goes to those who are using the land. So in a, in a way, they would, have, they would have been justified in saying, that, you know, if something happens to the son, we inherit. But who in their right mind would say, we can get away with murder and we will inherit the land? That, that, that just doesn't, that is the hook. That is the thing that is wrong with this parable that Jesus wants us to meditate on. And in a way, the chief priests, the elders are doing exactly that. They are ignoring the Lord. They are rejecting him. They're rejecting the Lord's call to conversion. 
They're not yielding to him. And yet they think they're going to be able to hold on to the vineyard, hold on to that which God has provided to them. It's not going to happen in any stretch of the imagination. It cannot happen. But they think it will. And they answer Jesus when he asks, what's going to happen? He's going to put those wretched men to a wretched death and lease his vineyard to others who will give him produce at the proper time. By their own answer, they are judged. If they do not yield, they will lose everything. If they do not give of the produce, they will lose everything. And we so often might, might just stand aloof and say, well, that's fine and good for them, but don't we in our own way not certainly as major as speaking for a whole nation, but don't we each in our own way pretty much tell that to our Lord? He's created everything for us, given us everything, called us, and he wants us to produce good fruit. He wants us to give ourselves to him. And yet we think, well, I can do this. I can do this sin and I'll get away with it. Or I can do do this act uh, of defiance and he there's not going to be any punishment. Or, worse, I can reject him, but he's going to accept me into heaven. We live in a culture that very much tells us this. Uh, we talk about universal salvation. All are saved. Yes, I, I know, dare we hope. You know, the, there was a theologian, uh, von Balthasar, who talks wrote an essay, Dare We Hope for the Salvation of All? And yes, we dare hope for the salvation of all, but we know some reject him. And it's by their own words that they reject him. As uh, hopefully soon-to-be venerable Fulton Sheen says, it's either we tell God thy will be done, or God tells us thy will be done. We must yield. We must give to the Lord. In the meantime, not only do we give that yield to to our Lord, but we, too, need to protect the vineyard. And this this week, uh, the synod on the international level, the universal church level, has begun. And we must pray for this process because it is, of course, everything is being filtered through the American media, which uh, we have to remember isn't always um, accurate. Uh, I'll give you two points, uh, just, just a background. When uh, Pope Francis was elected shortly after he was celebrating the Triduum services and during the Good Friday service, everyone was just amazed at how humble he was because he laid on the floor in an act of penance before the Good Friday service. They were completely unaware that every priest and bishop, at least every priest and bishop who's able to, does the same thing every Good Friday they were completely oblivious to that fact. It's not saying that the Pope Francis isn't uh, not making that, that point. Or the other, other point, after uh, St. John Paul II's death, the uh, Catholic uh, news correspondent for a major publication in the United States uh, pulled somebody aside. There she was in St. Peter's Square, and she said, you know, I look around, but I don't see any water. What, what is this Holy See they're talking about? Without realizing the Holy See referred to the seat of Peter, not a lake or, or a body of water. Our media doesn't always get it right. 
But with that in the background, we have to be careful and remember that God has given us, all of us, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that gift needs to be protected. That we as a church cannot embrace things that are evil. We cannot embrace things that are wrong, that have been taught to us uh, as wrong. That suddenly now uh, doctrine can change and, and what was sin is now no longer sin. We need to stand up strongly and hold fast to the truth. As we hear in today's first reading to the Philippians, St. Paul tells us, whatever is true, whatever is good, whatever is beautiful, think about these things. These are the transcendence. And when we think about those things, we are raised beyond this life. See, if our media is correct in, in saying this is, these are the results, which is always interesting, how do they know the results before the synod process is done? That's another story. But if we hold on to the true, the beautiful, the good, we have nothing to fear. These do not change. They, were, they are eternal. We hold on to that truth. And we know in our lives, we must yield to the will of God. And in our church, too, we must yield to the will of God, not to our own lesser desires. As we come this day, we ask the Lord to help us, to help us not reject our Lord, to know that, yes, he was a stone once rejected, but he is now the cornerstone. And this is true and beautiful in our eyes.